Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Feeling embarrassed. Oh, why is that, Ben? I just I just tried an alternate opening and it was terrible and and we're we're not going to use it. And I feel very it was so bad that I am broadcasting to our audience that I had the dumbest opening ever and I feel stupid about it. I I appreciate your transparency because you you often you in fact always edit these podcasts. So if there's anything that uh, you feel isn't uh, worthy of the audience hearing about, they never get to hear about it. So uh, yes, you're the gatekeeper in this regard. Was it as bad as I thought it was? It was pretty bad. <laughs> well, you know what's great, James? What's that, Ben? WordPress.com. Indeed. We're excited to have WordPress.com as a sponsor. Whether you're building a personal blog, a business site, or both, creating your website on WordPress.com helps others find you, remember you, and connect with you. You don't need experience. They guide you through the process from start to finish and take care of the technical side to get your site up and running. Their customer support team is made up of WordPress experts eager to help you get the most from your site, and they are available 24-7. I'm sticking with I'm sticking with my 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 new script. <laughs> plans start at just four dollars per month, and all plans include a custom domain name for the life of the plan. So go to WordPress.com/exponent to get fifteen percent off your website today. That's WordPress.com/exponent, and our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent. As always, thank you. So I wrote an article a few a few months ago, like from books to blogs that was <laughs> because I I wrote it the same day that I wrote the sort of like refresh of like aggregation theory. Mm. A- and the, I, I always felt sheepish. I'm like, I'm just basically kind of rewriting an article here. And I'm like, I I, sh- I, I want to explain why I'm doing this. And it was probably totally unnecessary to post two articles on one day. But the, but the idea of it is like one of the great things about writing a blog, like you could write on wordpress.com, for example, <laughs> is the, is that it, it, like it's not set it's like it's not it's not sitting on a bookshelf like never to be altered again like i mean this is a a, a topic in general about the advantages that come from publishing on the internet obviously there's lots of talk about the disadvantages particularly from a sort of monetization standpoint when it comes to things like newspapers and magazines Mm. and stuff like that but if you to succeed on the web you have to sort of embrace what Mm. makes the web great and one of the things that is great is is the sort of iterative nature of anything that you do yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I remember having that conversation with you and juxtaposing that against folks who are interested in this kind of business theory building and analysis. And typically they're in the world of academia, or, or many of them are anyway, and the academic process, which is housed in assumptions, not just from the last generation, but perhaps from the generation before, where it's completely at the other end of the spectrum. It's not that you get to update these things, it's that they sit in review for months and months and months and if they're lucky pop out the other side with a few edits from somebody as opposed to what you get to do what we get to do which is like put things out and iterate so quickly and it gets so much better so much faster from all those eyes and all that feedback that's exactly right and i really felt that way about this week's article so i I wrote a piece last year called apple and the oak tree and it was getting at this idea that apple's you know, building up like they're not the old sort of they're not the young whippersnapper that they used to be where mm-hmm. they could pivot super quickly and, and mm-hmm. change their mind. And I think the example I used in that story was when Apple said, oh, we're going to be all about making movies. And then like nine months later, they're all about music <laughs> and mm-hmm. and they completely shifted the entire focus of the company in like a year, which is which is pretty incredible. But that's something that you could do like and it's easy to look back and say, oh, that's so great. Well, I wish Apple could be like that. But Apple could be like that because they were a, a tiny company that didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because they had a tiny uh, bit of, of PC share and that was it. 
And not just that, it's, it's also that the, the culture was such that it was in crisis. It was, it was, I mean, when jobs came back, it was weeks away from bankruptcy, very famously. And as we've talked about in the context of culture, the easiest way, the easiest way to like change everything is to be in a crisis because people are realizing that the way that we've done things in the past is no longer working. And if we don't dramatically change things quickly, we're going to be in serious trouble. So people are much more open to changing things around. At the other end of this, and I mean, that's one apple and yeah, like the ability to change quickly is great, but it was almost dead. At the other end of the, the spectrum is the apple we see now, which is doing remarkably well, but the culture is kind of set around all the success that it's had. Yeah, but it's it's not just like a, a a cultural thing, and I'm not even sure that that's necessarily a bad thing either. I mean, when Apple released the iPod and, and iTunes, I mean, they, they were out of the the the, the dark area, mm. and, and I mean, who knows exactly how close to bankruptcy they they were? At a minimum, they were they were not strong. They were they were they were not they were not in good shape. Mm. But but by this time, they were they were definitely you know a, an ongoing concern. The iMac had come out and been a you know a, a, a surprise success, but. The fact remains that you're right. Like the the there was no illusions of permanence, or or mm-hmm. to put it in a more sort of favorable way, no sort of responsibility, whether that be to shareholders, which or to even to their customers, like that. You know, th- they were free to. It was okay to go up on stage and say, "This is what we are going to do," and then a year later to say, "Actually, this is what we're going to do," and it be totally different. And it didn't really impact anyone in any sort of mm-hmm. meaningful way. And 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 that's you know that's a great thing, but it's also a great thing to be to to have the, you know the one of those profitable products in the world and have a huge mm-hmm. ecosystem. Yeah, I mean that's the advantage of having your back against the wall. It, in some senses, it almost takes you back to that startup mentality where you're able to zero things super quickly when they're not working. And again, Apple's position right now is is almost the exact opposite of that, right? Well, and so what I what I the point I was making in that article was sort of that like Apple's not this sort of like super flexible, can do whatever they want entity anymore. And, and, and the in the 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 title apple and the oak tree went back to the aesop's fable about the oak tree talking to the reed and the oak tree saying oh look at me i'm so big and strong and then the huge storm came along and the oak tree fell down or got you know knocked over and the reed was totally fine because it could bend and and move with the wind yeah mm. and you know the takeaway is obviously is sort of negative for the oak tree but it sort of skips over all of the great things that the oak tree did if, if that right. makes sense right yeah. it was a big tree provided lots of shade animals lived in there like it, it was a very it was a very good thing and and the way i thought about sort of this article this week was it was definitely this that sort of theme it was the sort of reed versus oak tree theme and, and framing it as apple's middle age being the title being that apple's not the sort of you know, young gun anymore. But one, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Two, that's sort of the natural order of things. But then three, and this sort of gets the inner of nature, I felt particularly with this set of earnings and some of the things that Apple has done over the last few months, I felt I had a much more clear articulation of exactly what I mean about about, about Apple's, what Apple is today as opposed to what they were previously. As opposed to sort of like, oh, it's a different company, they're building lock-in. Like, no, there's a very specific, you can break down Apple's business in a very specific way where they have three growth areas and each of those growth areas is focused on increasing the monetization of their current user base all, all great points but the thing that i want to do is uh slightly rib you for 
uh, drawing a comparison between your middle age and Apple's middle age at the start of your article <laughs> this week. It's like, oh, wow, this is pretty hilarious. Ben's, Ben's drawing a parallel between having to move places and where Apple is in its organizational history. <laughs> well, well, needless to say, moving places has been top of mind for, for me recently. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're trying to get at that. Is this sort of like, this isn't necessarily a bad thing because, and I think, I probably had a lot of our discussions in mind where we're going to get into what Apple's doing and it's sort of inevitably we're going to have this sort of disruption conversation like mm-hmm. what happens when you're just trying to make more money off your yeah. off your quote unquote best customers and and you know and you kind of you were kind of going in this direction just a few minutes ago saying oh it's so you know one of the great things about when you're near death experiences you can do all these sorts of things and and the sort of thought of when we look backwards that's a good thing and it's like, and, and the implication of saying that's a good thing is that being big and large and in charge mm. is a bad thing. And and I think it's a little more complicated than that. That sure. that's almost it's too black and white of you. Is it a good thing to be flexible? Absolutely. But there are, but it's not necessarily the only thing oh. and the only way a company should go. Totally. I mean, it's it's adva- there are advantages and disadvantages to both. And I think that, that the art to this, just as like the art to life, I guess, is recognizing what stage you're at and then taking advantage of the stage, like trying to minimize the disadvantages and maximize the, the advantages. And if you're a new company or your back's against the wall, maximize the fact that you're flexible. But if you're like the most valuable company in the world, you like there are a series of advantages that come with incumbency. And trying to behave like you're a small startup is just not going to serve you well. You should take, you should recognize where you are and take advantage of that circumstance. So let's get into those sort of ways that Apple is monetizing. And I think the the HomePod kind of uh, in, in its launch really sort of you know brought this home to me. So. Apple really has three clear growth areas because the the iPhone growth is really sort of petering out. I mean, mm-hmm. the revenue was up, but it was up because they charged more. Like the actual unit sales were down, uh, were down by about one percent year over year. And maybe you know there will be some growth going forward, but that's that's not a surprise at all because Apple, if you look sort of the secular forces when it comes to smartphones, smartphones as a whole were actually down significantly last year, like five or six percent or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but so Apple relative to smartphones is still doing very well you know kind of like the mac is still doing very well relative to pcs Mm -hmm. but what does apple have going for it because the issue is that everyone in the world has a smartphone now that's going to get a smartphone by and large and the ones that don't have a smartphone uh, are can't afford iphones and so the the apple market they they have a they have a phone now now they can still grow primarily through switching and and apple has an advantage here because their customer loyalty is massively higher than the customer loyalty for any other phone maker which means if you play out the math over time all things being equal more people are going to switch to iphone than switch in the other direction so mm-hmm. that that's one factor that even though the market is saturated they can still grow on a unit basis yeah, it's, it's it blows my mind that we've gone from it feels like yesterday that this was a and maybe this is showing my age, but it feels like yesterday that we were launching into the smartphone era and within what, 10 years, we've hit complete market saturation. We've gone from growing the pie to dividing the pie. And the fact that it's matured this quickly is just crazy to me. You're right. It really is amazing. And I think the way you, you just stated that, growing the pie versus splitting up the pie, that's exactly right. And, and so the, and so Apple has an advantage in taking more and more of the pie. But by definition, that's going to be a much slower process mm-hmm. than gobbling up sort of greenfield. Mm-hmm. 
Totally. We just dro- dropped a lot of we dropped a lot of uh, uh, biz- <laughs> metaphors there. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of classic business talk. Yeah, Greenfield. That, we need to get some yeah. blue ocean in here. <laughs> the problem, though, the, what's working against that growth rate is people are holding on their phones longer. Like the mm-hmm. upgrade rate is is elongating, <laughs> as as they say. People are holding on their phones longer and longer. As you would also expect, as these devices get better and better, the reason to upgrade, like with the early iPhones, it, like it was such a massive improvement every single model that is inevitably going to slow down we've been talking about this for ages and it's definitely starting to show up in the numbers where people are just not upgrading as fast so on one side you do have a switching advantage on the other side the people who are in your ecosystem they're not leaving but they're just not buying models as fast as they were previously and the net result of that is you know very slight decline year over year yeah, I mean, this is, it's just a repeat of what happened in the PC industry, right? And now it's finally starting to hit the cell phone industry as we've, as we're saturating the market. That's exactly right. And, and, and again, I know Apple had 14 weeks last quarter. Some people are going to email and tell us that. But, you know, I kind of noted in, I don't remember if it was in this post or, or in the daily update, when managers start going on and on about like the number of weeks in a quarter, it's mm. like going on about currency yeah. rates. Yes, it affects the bottom line. But if you're devoting significant time to it in your call, that, that in itself is sort of a, a rather important it, signal. It totally. I totally agree. So, so anyhow, but so the net of it is so so the smart the, the the long story of it is iPhone has powered Apple's growth for the last ten years. That is kind of over. I mean, in the, so so as far as unit sales go, so that leaves three ways to really drive growth going forward. And you can see Apple executing all these. So number one is increasing the price, and, and which they obviously did last you know last cycle. The iPhone ten starts at a thousand dollars. The and even the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus start were $50 more expensive. Now, I think a lot of that was due to higher memory costs. But regardless, they raised the prices of, of all their products. And that's a, you know, sort of a business 101. If you need to generate growth, raise the price. And again, given, you know, presuming that the elasticity of demand can, can handle it. Yeah. And generally, if you have a premium product and you have high-end customers, these they, these folks tend to be relatively price inelastic, which means they are not they are not highly responsive to price. If if you have a uh, perfectly and as the elasticity increases, it means that the demand for the product changes a lot with price. But with luxury goods and with a high-end product with people who are demanding the best performance tends to be inelastic. So raising prices will generally generate more revenue for you than would be offset through the unit sales. And Apple has the sort of, they own the software, right? You, If you want iOS and you want to continue using the same sort of environment that you've been using all along, you don't have any choice in the matter. Mm. What you do have a choice in is you could just hold on to your current iPhone longer. And, and again, so probably where the price rise will play out is not people buying another phone. It's they'll just hold on to their current phone longer mm-hmm. than they would have otherwise. So it's kind of exacerbating that. It's sort of That issue is going to be an issue. That was going to be an issue regardless. It's now going to be more of an issue the more they try to sort of raise prices. Yes, but you would expect still that the price increase, and it, it played out, like the price increase will, in, t- in terms of total revenue, increase more than the, offs- the offset decrease in unit sales right exactly but it's gonna be interesting to see what happens going forward though mm. because even within apple's user base there's you know there's various segments within that base and in the folks that want the be- the latest and best and upgrade every year they are going to be the most you know inelastic when it, mm-hmm. it, it, with their demand and th- but they are also the ones who are going to buy 
it immediately as soon as it comes out. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next couple quarters where the, all, all the sort of best customers, the very best customers mm. as far as uh, revenue opportunities go, they've already bought a phone. And the people who buy a phone in, in the spring and the summer, buy, quite obviously, they don't care about you know, they don't have to have the best right away. And it's going to be very interesting. Are they going to be willing to buy an iPhone 8, which looks definitely different? It's not the best iPhone. Or are they going to say, well, I could just get an iPhone 7 or I could get an iPhone 6. And I, I, I think the ASP number, I wouldn't be – it's going to be very interesting to see. Like, uh-huh. is it going to – It's definitely going to go down a lot, but is it going to go down? Where is it going to be relative to previous years? Is there still going to be enough iPhone 10 buyers to keep it high? Or is there going to be sort of a shift down where people like, why am I buying an iPhone 8? When it's it's not even the best iPhone, but if I why am I going to spend that much? I'll just get an iPhone seven or or, or something like yeah. those lines. And and we're I mean we're already starting to see some indication. It's not a perfect indication, but some indication with Apple cutting its production numbers for the iPhone ten like after only just a few months out, which you would expect that, that that's kind of an indication that that maybe it's not as high. Maybe there aren't as many people reaching for that top end phone as they well. It is an indication there aren't as many people reaching for that top end phone as they were expecting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always it's always hard to know which of these rumors to believe and which not to. But there's an even, but but I tend to believe it in part because Apple also built up inventory last quarter, and and that's very rare. The only other time in recent history I can remember Apple building iPhone inventory in the first quarter it was on sale was the iPhone 6s, which was the one that that where they they inadvert I believe inadvertently, but they they stuffed the channel the first quarter and they take a two billion dollar write down. Uh, and like that's how that's how much they misestimate estimated demand and that's not exactly the the model that you want your financial results to be no. sort of echoing no absolutely <laughs> not and it's i mean that is another thing that boggles my mind the extent to which they have to be tooling up and getting those numbers right for the the amount of product and guessing what that's going to be months in advance and then getting that number right like that from an operational perspective their ability to do that i mean it's not like the software business where okay we just need a few few more aws servers the extent to which they have to predict and get that right is just another mind-boggling thing when you start to think about it. It really is. I mean, I think this transition, it, 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 I mean, they had a hard time getting the iPhone X out and now it's out and and are they, how many are going to sell? And they're going to, you know, it'll be interesting to do with the product line, but that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there. We'll have plenty mm-hmm. of time to talk about sort of future iPhones and, and future results for that matter. But yeah. the point remains is strategy one to to achieve growth is to raise the prices. So that's number one. Number two is the is services, and, and you have all these users, and this is where you can monetize not just new users, but also those users who are holding on to the old iPhones, which you're not making as much money off them in, as far as selling iPhones goes, but they are buying apps in the App Store and playing games and, and running up in-app purchases, and they are getting iCloud storage because your phone is kind of unusable without it, and, and all these other sorts of ways to generate revenue on an ongoing basis. For a company that typically makes its money off one-off purchases, and particularly if you think that the purchases are going to decrease as you start to raise the the price of the product that they are making the one-off purchases of, the more you can supplement your revenue with this kind of like weekly, monthly kind of revenue stream, the better because it produces a reliability of revenue. It smooths things out. It's much more predictable than having to wildly guess, well, not wildly, but guess at what what the numbers are going to be like in terms of how many phones we need to produce and how many phones we need to sell. You have this. It's reliable. The people just keep on buying it. Uh, It's like a great way of making more money for the company. 
Yeah, and a few years ago, it was during that 6S cycle, the, the Apple really started to push the narrative about the services, and they like put out like a special uh, a special uh, PDF about like all the services revenue they mm-hmm. grew, and it was kind of uh, I, I didn't like it because they they claimed like all app revenue, and, and then they put like developers as like a cost of goods sold, and wow. I'm like, no, that's that's. That's not how it works, but the I always kind of poo pooed this. Apple's not a, I, that after that earnings release, I wrote saying Apple's not a services company. Like this, give me a break. <laughs> I think though it was a little unfair though in that in the reason because I was thinking about it from a strategic perspective. Because if you are a services company, and if someone asked that on the call, this is going back two years. They're like, well, if you're a services company now, then shouldn't you be selling a lower cost iPhone? And that's exactly right. Because if you're a services company, you want mm-hmm. to be expanding your audience. You can sell more to them. And Apple was not going to do that. They, I mean, they did release the SE, which which was in this direction, but they're not like selling a hundred dollar phone or two hundred dollar mm-hmm. phones. If they really wanted you know push services revenue is, is something they could do and, and so from a strategic perspective I, it's exactly right they're not a services company that said from a financial perspective it, like i think apple has a case that they, this should be valued more highly because this sort of revenue that the app store provides and i call it storage all the, the the various services apple has it is the sort of revenue that it's the best sort of revenue where it's it's almost like an annuity it just keeps going yeah. and keeps going up like it, it, like whatever services revenue apple makes today is basically a floor if if you believe my thesis that not many people are switching from an iphone to android and that they will they will slowly but surely kind of increase they have a switching advantage even now even today by definition that means that services revenue is just going to keep crawling up over time and that deserves to be valued and apple had a financial case from a financial perspective it should be thought of as a services company at least this segment (laughs) even if strategically they're not behaving like a services company yeah i mean i share your skepticism of it and if there's no better way of uh demonstrating that you should be skeptical of it than how they account for it and it's like there's the indication that you're really a product company is when you think of developers as a cost of goods sold and that's how you're going to account for it like come on guys like that's a little uh, that yeah maybe with your iphone when you have inventory like when you're buying the components but uh treating developers like a cost of goods sold in your accounting treatment is a, is a little tongue yeah and to be clear this wasn't on their this wasn't on their uh their income statement per se they mm-hmm. released like a supplementary document uh-huh. like in that was is basically a way to pump up their their services mm-hmm. revenue which was already great but the the problem the other problem with doing it that way is it dramatically lowers your margins it's like no if you're like an actual like tech services company your margins to be super high, which their margins are almost certainly very high on the app store. Once you account for it properly, that is not not include you know developer revenue. You know they they, they don't release that supplementary document anymore, and I'm very glad because it drove me up the wall. When they did, yeah, and and from a financial perspective, it is it is very reasonable to do this. Like you should, if you again your point, if they are not bleeding customers, that that money is going to keep reliably coming in an annuity or a tax like it's it's a fantastic revenue stream but it it's a little disingenuous to suggest you're a services company and from a strategy perspective that's clear and then you think about it in terms of like if you are someone who wants to go work on cloud services and you're considering going to Apple or considering going to Google, are you going to go to a, a place where you're only selling to a portion of the market that's bought the, the high-end phone and it's relatively limited? Or are you going to go to the place that's going to try and sell those services everywhere? And of course, like those are the kinds of those are the kinds of ways you assess whether something's truly a services company. And sure, they have the revenue stream and from a financial perspective, that's completely fair. 
fair to say this is a real and meaningful and growing thing. But it, yeah, like I say, disingenuous, at least to my mind, to pretend that you're a services company. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of said originally too, I've gotten a little more gentle about it because it was on an earnings call. It was for a financial analyst. Like for, and it, it is fair to say from a financial perspective, like this revenue stream is a different sort of revenue stream mm-hmm. than, yeah, totally. than, than units. So anyhow, but but speaking of units, speaking of devices, this mm-hmm. was, I think, the, the sort of third piece that I've kind of talked about and, and discussed, but but I think really putting it in the context of these other two ones, this is sort of what I meant sort of the iterative process. Like just it, at least from my perspective, was so much more crystal clear. So number one, Apple's raising the prices on iPhone. Number two, they are getting more and more services revenue from their customers. And number three, they are selling more devices to the customers they already have. And, and, and like it sounds sort of obvious, but you see something where the with the HomePod, and there was some discussion when it came out where the HomePod you have to have an iOS device to set it up. Like you can't even use it if you have just a Mac, for example, or you get you certainly can't use it if you have an Android phone. Uh, uh, even like AirPods, for example, they're just Bluetooth headphones. You could mm-hmm. use them with another device if you wanted to. No, this is like exclusively an Apple device, and it's not growing the market. It's not growing Apple's user base. What it is doing, though, is dramatically increasing the revenue they make per customer. And I, I think we discussed this a few podcasts ago. I know, I know I've made this point before, but I think putting it in the context of these, the first two points really sort of brings home, this is Apple's strategy, is bring more and more revenue out of the customers we already have. Yeah. And when you view it as an overall strategy in the context of uh, the initial part of this conversation, which is recognizing the, the, the time, the, the stage of development you're at. And like, it's almost like if you look back over time for Apple, the Mac was almost like the beachhead from which they launched anything. And then they, they expanded pretty dramatically the amount of territory under control with the iPod. And then the iPhone just took it, took it to the most valuable company in the world. And they have this massive footprint on the Mac. And then this strategy of thinking about increasing revenue for the iPhone by upping the prices, the services that they're now selling to those users and now additional hardware that they're selling to those users as well. It's almost like they're laying down borders and they are now focusing on controlling and maximizing the territory under control, which is a very different strategy from the Apple 10 years ago with the iPhone, which is like, we're just going to break out and dominate as much as we can. Well, I think the even better example, though, is to go back to the iPod and the decision to put it on Windows mm. because that was explicitly a growth decision. Mm-hmm. A gro- we're going to increase the number of people who can buy an Apple product. And, and and it was not a let's use it to sell more Macs decision. It, it was a let's go in the opposite direction. Let's expand the audience. And quite clearly, it was, it was the right decision. But again, you have to think about the context of where Apple was. Apple – had a very small number of customers who were like basically Apple fanatics by and large. And there was a huge number of people, both on the high end and low end and all ends of, of the spectrum, that were not Apple customers at all. And and from that perspective, this is what I get at in sort of the being a little more contemplative about it as opposed to saying it's good or bad. From mm, where agreed. Apple was at the time, it was exactly right to be the young whippersnapper going out mm-hmm. there and I'm going to get as many customers as I can. And then, and today though, when you already have all the good customers, it seems a little like folks are like banging on Apple for, you know, not making it open or not reaching out. But if you think about it, if you actually really think about it, what customers is Apple going to get that they don't already have? I mean, I, it's a great point. Like you have all the most profitable customers all over the world and the markets where there isn't 
complete saturation of smartphones, like you said earlier, are probably markets in which people can't even afford base level iPhones, right? Like they have, they have from the perspective of, and here's how I would frame it, because I think I know where this conversation is going. From the perspective of the current generation of products, they have all the best customers that they could possibly want. And to go further down market is going to seriously affect uh, their margins, but it's also going to affect their ability to deliver products that they are they, they are proud of, which has been one of the Apple mantras all along. It, well, it's, it's not just that. It's like, what's the what's the greater return on investment? Because what's interesting is is th- there is a, this opportunity to build out like there, we have all these pieces that that work together. And mm-hmm. I actually have talked about this in the context of like the smart home, right? Where it was clearly, you know, it was relevant to HomePod, but the problem with the smartphone right now is folks are trying to go modular from day one. Like, like, and that's, you know, certainly Amazon strategy, for example, like mm-hmm. Alexa's out there and, and they're executing it beautifully and, and you can embed Alexa in all kinds of devices and all kinds of devices are work with Alexa and it's super easy to implement. And the out, come of it is it's a little harder to use like you have to use like a certain you have to get the language Lexicons. right yeah right right exactly but i think that's a smart move because it's a way to increase the sort of vastly increase the ecosystem and offload complexity on the entity most able to manage that complex complexity which is the human but what's mm-hmm. interesting about that is it's kind of skipping a step right the idea is that an integrated solution for any not just leave aside the smart home for for a moment mm-hmm. but for any product when it's new and immature an integrated solution is going to be better because the one who the integrator can sort of smooth over all the rough edges yeah, I mean that the you don't know the best way to piece everything together and you're getting organizations to uh, you're trying to establish boundaries between products and also organizations and get all these things to work together but it hasn't been done properly the first time and so people are just taking guesses at where those borders are going to be and that's why time and time again at the start of a product category the 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 winner is more often than not integrated. But then once that integration, everyone's figured out, oh, this is the way it should all work. You can figure out where the boundaries exactly should be. And that's where a modular approach is oftentimes best. That's exactly right. And I've always sort of thought that, again, we'll get to the HomeBot specifically in a moment, but I've always thought there's there's a market opportunity to basically sell the the smart home where where you offer everything like imagine if they're not apple or, but just imagine an entity that came along and it's like oh wait, uh you can buy from us the, the lights the switches mm. the electrical outlets like all, all the sort of pieces the the blinds whatever it might be and have it be one company that does it all mm-hmm. and like it's guaranteed to all work together and you don't need to hire someone to figure it out and you don't have to piece things together you like you go in you set it up and it's gonna be way more expensive because you're buying all from from one one provider and you you know, they're going to have a big margin on it, all sort of stuff, but it's guaranteed to work day one. Yeah, and like how how attractive would that be to at least some segment of the population where this smart home thing sounds really cool and I would like it, but man, it sounds like a total pain in the ass to sort of get it all set up and they just never do it. And, and but what if you could just buy it? If you buy you know a smart home in a box, as it were. Mm. And I mean, if you think about the kinds of people who would find that attractive, they're almost certainly like to, likely to be existing Apple customers, right? Yeah, and so I've always thought that this is sort of a, a, a an opportunity for Apple, and, and they're not, you know, like to make like make Apple light bulbs. Like, and that sounds sort of stupid. Obviously, they would probably source them from someone else. But I almost feel like a mistake with sort of HomeKit in general is it's trying to layer on sort of like Apple 
integration onto a modular setup, and it's in it's really a total mess. I mean, I, HomeKit is so much more difficult to get set up than than the Alexa, which I mean, again, Alexa the ecosystem has rough edges for sure, but it's much easier to get started than HomeKit in my experience. And I'm sure you hear people that HomeKit's very easy. I I found it much more difficult to get working in general, it, it, and I both set up, but. The I don't know. This is sort of a tangent, but it's always struck me as like Apple could really move in to own own the home by just just do it all. Like do it for me, Apple. Like that's what we hire Apple to do. We hire Apple to mm. take care of all our computing problems for us, so we can just get our get our stuff done. <laughs> this is why being on the I mean I end up being uh, tech support for my family, and this is why I'm very much happy that my family is an Apple family. Given that if things don't work, I end up being uh, tech support at weird hours on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. So yes, I get you. It's like let's make sure this stuff works because it's bad enough when the computer doesn't work. I guarantee you, I will be getting a lot of calls at odd times of the odd times of the day if the lights don't work. If my if my family decided to install something like that i have been there i have been in the united <laughs> states and my and, and hearing from my wife saying I, I i can't turn this this light on or i can't do this sort of thing mm. well what's going wrong and and she is not very patient about it <laughs> and, I, and i have to figure out how to get to work and it's very annoying what's yep. funny is uh we're as you know we are moving and the new house we go into the bedroom and my wife is just standing in the middle of the room looking up i'm like what are you looking at she's like can we change his light bulbs to Alexa light bulbs? Oh wow! <laughs> I, like she, she, she loves to complain about it, but she cannot give it up. <laughs> she, oh. Like, like once once you're used to doing the whole voice thing, like for the smart home stuff, it really is. Like, it, it is really great, but it's it's like the barrier to entry is is still you know pretty significant. Absolutely. Anyhow, uh, Ben's enough Ben enough Ben anecdotes. We, we, we I don't want to get mocked by you again. <laughs> so we you know we've decided the smart home in a box, which I totally think Apple should do. <laughs> the this idea though, but 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 the strategy embedded in that. What what is that? What is my point? My point is that there is still a whole lot of value I think to be garnished from from being an integrator from from selling stuff that just works and the company that again is most well suited to do that is apple they it's not just that they're that's their modus operandi it's to your point they have the customers that already have a demonstrated willingness to pay for ease of use and so by and large if you think about how should apple what should apple do going forward should they start selling lower even lower end iPhones and reaching into markets where people are much more price conscious and much less willing to pay for what apple offers so they can do services for example no, I think it actually makes a whole ton of sense to sell more to people who are willing to pay them more and to offer if you buy all stuff from us, it's all going to work really well together and you're not going to have the headaches of trying to get different services to play nicely together. Yeah, totally. Uh, but there's also, I think there needs to be recognition that this is a strategy of a much more mature company. If you think about the returns that have accrued to uh, Apple shareholders, like uh, Professor Christensen always used to tell me this, like the, the the way to invest and to make money is to pick a, a stock that has got some kind of disruptive product because analysts aren't able to value it properly and will cons consistently undervalue it. And then the company will consistently outperform the market. And it's hard to 
predict the impact of a new disruptive product that you can sell at high margins to everybody like the iPhone. But moving towards this strategy, it becomes much more predictable. They're able to stick future earnings and what they think it's going to be into their spreadsheets. And I I raise this because... On one hand, I think the strategy that you're describing of getting more money out of existing customers is a solid one. But it's also exactly the strategy that Microsoft was taking when Apple came along and launched up the stack with the next product. And they need to also be thinking about what comes next afterwards because it's it's impossible just to defend the borders of your country by having the best product in the current generation because invariably in technology, some new product comes along and it enables someone else, particularly with this hardware software integration, like the, the, the thing that's at the top of the stack, it's going to be something else soon. And if it's not Apple that figures it out, it's going to be someone else. And at that point, just like the PC industry has started to decline, like the phone industry will start to decline. Unit sales will drop off and ASPs will start to drop off too. Of course, I completely agree. And this is is definitely sort of the point of the podcast that that I want to sort of hash out with you because this strategy that I described, it, it makes total sense. And it's also the exact sort of incumbent strategy that is described by disruption, right? Where Mm -hmm. they, they seek to serve the needs of their users and, and they, extract ever more revenue from that. And they're, they're sort of anything new that comes along, they don't invest in the margins aren't as good. The opportunity isn't as great. It seems, and their current customers might not be interested in it. And then something comes along and then it sort of explodes. It comes in orthogonally with enabled by new technology and then it scales up and becomes better and better. And suddenly you're left like with this, this tiny little bit at the high end, like you're selling mainframes or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. And I, I hear you. And, And I, this was definitely absolutely in my head as I write this article, but that's why though, that's why I use the sort of, that's why I tied it to the sort of personal sort of melancholy, yeah, I'm getting old sort, sort, sort of angle. Because one thing that you and I have, I think, argued about previously is to what extent can a company actually avoid disruption? Mm. And my sense, I'm much more fatalistic about it. Like, I think if you're facing a truly disruptive sort of product, you're screwed. <laughs> There's nothing you can really do about it. And and I think that this this gets gets to it. I mean, you can certainly see lots of sustaining technologies that mm-hmm. could come next, like augmented reality, for example. Apple's mm-hmm. the best position to execute in, in part totally. because they have the ecosystem in place, they have the developer ecosystem, they have the technology which is you know the the capability of building these sorts of things uh, uh but but again what maybe something else is going to come along that's that, that none of us can envision right now and apple's not going to be prepared for it yep. but if it's if that's actually the case then there's nothing they're going to be able to do about it and i think that that's okay like i think to have this this eternal pursuit of youth and and mm. we all know people like this right they're they're like 40 years old and they're they live their life like they're 23 and it's I don't know, not 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 the way I would want to live. Uh, we'll just we'll just put it that way. Like I'm not sure that's necessarily the we glorify youth both in real life and in terms of companies and the the ability that comes with that and the possibilities that come with that. But that doesn't mean one should be young forever. No, it's absolutely true, uh, and I mean. 
I, again, I think at the start, like way, way, way back at the start of this podcast, I was much more in opposition to that idea than I am now. At the same time, there are still things about this organization that I think make it absolutely unique. And I think it would be a shame were it not to be able to leverage those Th- those things that are unique to continue to make great products in the future. And I mean, maybe that's the little essence of the fanboy that's left from all those years ago, like hoping that this keeps going. But that's my point. This strategy is, it, it's it's a great strategy. It's a good strategy to keep going. I mean, like what what else should they do? Like what should they do differently? They are, they are making new products like mm-hmm. the the uh, the airpod is the airpods are a complete revelation that are 100 percent of sustaining tech sustaining technology like and, and you know and they certainly push them to the extent of taking the headphone jack off of the of the iphone 7 mm-hmm. you can have a waterproof phone without a headphone jack that's not the reason like they it, and it, it, i think it was a great move and the experience of using an iphone with airpods is phenomenally better i mean what what else do you want them to do I, I, I'm with you. Like, I don't think that uh, you, we should make be making the argument that a company shouldn't continue to uh, imp- improve its product line, like the existing product line. It's not to say that sustaining innovation's bad, but the and and I hear you that Apple hasn't truly faced disruption because they've never had to replace a product that has been high margin with one that's lower margin. But more so than any other organization, they have done an incredible job of self cannibalizing, which is part of the way there. Like the iPod was a multi billion dollar business, and they allowed the iPhone to just eat that. There would be many organizations that would have resisted. And similarly with the iPad, like they weren't sure when they released that how much of an impact that would have on the Mac sales. It's it's possible that that could have, that the iPad, like this computer on this, this tablet could have resulted in nobody buying the Mac. Now, both of those products ended up being higher margin than, than what they threatened. And if it were the reverse, that would be true disruption. And it would be impressive to see them doing that. Stepping back, though, to answer your question, I guess, I'm not saying they shouldn't follow the strategy that they're doing right now, but they should be looking in the same way they were so hungry to find a thing that replaced the PC. I think they should be they should continue to be hungry to find the thing that replaces the smartphone. Yeah, and this is where I think this is probably a natural sort of pivot to Opod because I, I think there's an absolutely a strong case to be made, and I've made it, <laughs> I think mostly the Daily Update, that one Apple was blind to the HomePod in, mm. or to the home sort of speaker opportunity. Yes, I know they've been working on it for ages. You know, newsflash, Apple's working on tons of products mm-hmm. all the time for ages. And there's a big difference between something in a lab and totally. actually the go-ahead from on top that we're going to build this product. And the fact that, you know, it didn't launch until 2018 when, you know, Alexa came out in 2014, I think. Uh, you know, I think, like, Let's 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 be real here. Apple was Apple's late. They're they're late to this. And no, I'm not saying they're too late. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be a problem. We'll see how that works out. But they did not respond immediately to this. And I think the reason is pretty clear because mm-hmm. they already had a voice assistant. They had a way of accessing that, which is the phone in your pocket and the watch, which was already well underway. And th- that's very valid. And it may end up being that those are more compelling in the long run than a sort of smart speaker. But you also have to remember the smart speaker is a lower cost, presumably lower, well, certainly a, a, an Echo is a much lower cost, mm-hmm. much lower margin product that really wasn't in Apple's interest to produce anyway. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, we, we, the first time we encountered this topic, I like put my thoughts down into a post like the blessing of failure, which is like, it's almost like failing in one paradigm allows you to throw everything out and start from scratch to such an extent that you can produce something that then ends up replacing it. And Apple benefited, benefited from it with the PC wars because they lost them. And therefore, they were open to creating something new that replaced it. And that's what the iPhone is. And that's what has that's what it feels like is happening with the smart speaker in the home. Like Amazon had failed dismally with the fire and it enabled them to like throw out the paradigm and say, okay, well, we're not going to win with a phone. Where else can we apply some of this technology in a way that helps us build a market that doesn't exist there? So maybe my request to uh, or my my strategy suggestion just isn't possible. But the the broader point I guess I would make is like you think you can hold down territory by selling by keep by sustaining innovations by making more money from your existing customers by having the best phone by having this fantastic speaker by the services revenue and it doesn't work like that. It's it's the the best defense is a good offense. Like that's what ends up protecting you from disruption. Something's going to come in and take this territory. Territory. And if it's not you, it's going to be someone else. And I think there's a point that, that I want to make because it always comes up. And it, it, I, I don't know why people like technologies don't wholesale replace other technologies. Like I, I we are both using mm-hmm. a PC right totally. now to record this. Like the, the, the phone came along does not mean that the PC was was suddenly no longer sold. Like it's like you're only allowed to buy one device. Will it be a phone or will it be a PC? No, mm-hmm. you can buy both. And I think it's the same with the smart speaker. I don't think anyone is claiming, I certainly am not, that mm-hmm. voice is going to completely replace phones and touch and interactions. I don't think that's the case at all. It's it's a new sort of – it's a new layer that, that, that that's going on top. Uh, so just to yeah. kind of put that aside, because we always get emails about this saying, I don't think voice is going to replace the phone. Like, no, it's not going to replace the phone. No one's saying that. I mean, you could certainly you could envision a future down the road where have you seen her yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> where where you know you just have like a watch in, in AirPods yep. for example, and and you know I think in the fact that Apple you know, we praised Apple for for sort of pushing us down that future because it, it's a very different future than the one today. But we'll still obviously want to look at screens. We'll still want to do more complex things on our phones just as we do with PC. So we're not saying that voice is replacing the smartphone, but it is something new that that it, for the reasons we've discussed in the home is the kind of the one place you're not necessarily have your phone with you. It's the one place you don't feel weird about sort of like talking out loud because no one's around. Uh, and, and like it is a sort of, dare I say, green space that Apple was kind of oblivious to because it didn't fit in their sort of their iPhone view of the world. Yeah, and that idea that I mentioned earlier around you become much more predictable when you're in sustaining innovation land where you're uh, getting more profits from existing and better customers as opposed to being disruptive or moving or creating or operating in this, uh, this greenfield territory where analysts can't really predict, like they can't really see what's happening. And you surprise again and again and again, you want to be at the top of the stack. Like that's where you want to be. It doesn't mean that the the markets underneath aren't going to continue to reliably generate revenue, but they're probably going to decline. And just like you wouldn't really want to be a PC maker right now, at some point, you're not really going to want to be a cell phone maker in the future. And if you're not going to want to be that, what are you going to be instead? 
Well, I think the future is still pretty far away. But I, I do think the it's interesting to get into the HomePod strategy specifically. Mm. And I actually would go back to the Apple TV, where the Apple TV mm. is kind of a weird product in that like Apple was really figured out the sort of puck idea, like this little little thing under your box. After you know they had the first version of the Apple TV that that wasn't quite right, and then they got the next version that that was significantly better. But what what's if you look at the market today, you Apple's selling the Apple TV for what 150 bucks or something, uh-huh. and, or I think they might have raised the price. And meanwhile, you can get a Chromecast for 30 bucks, which which I adore. I think I think it's a fantastic product. But you can buy a Roku box for or these little fob from Amazon or whatever that has that has all the streaming services that that you might want. And it's like, what is Apple doing selling a hundred fifty dollar device? Well. Apple is needs to make a profit on it because Apple sells devices for profit. And I am sure that Apple TV has a significant margin that justifies, in Apple's view, selling that device. And like, well, then why on earth would anyone buy an Apple TV? Well, if you have iTunes content, it's the only way to play it's the only way mm. to play that content on your TV. And that and I own an Apple TV because I buy shows from iTunes, so I have no choice in the matter. But what's interesting about that is if you when you think about a services company, why does Amazon sell Echoes like crazy? Or why do they start out very like I I think Amazon sold the original Echo at a loss or very close to it. And then what do they come out with next? They come out with an even smaller and cheaper one, right? Why? Because they're they are a services company and the point of mm-hmm. devices is to drive people to their services. So it's not to make money. It's not to make a profit. It's to get them using the service. That's why Amazon licenses out Alexa to whoever will take it. Same with Google and, and, and Google Assistant. But when you're a vertical company like Apple, you use services to drive the sell of high margin hardware. It's a complete reverse. Instead of selling cheap hardware to drive the uses of services, you use services to drive the purchase of high margin hardware. And the Apple TV is a perfect example. Apple can get away to the extent they do with selling a wildly overpriced TV device because they have a service, specifically iTunes, that is only accessible on that device. It's the case that it benefits you in some circumstances and it doesn't in others. Like you think about the iPod, the fact that they were able to make money off the hardware enabled them to venture into the world of music. And now it's the, and there are t- like same with iPhones and iOS and particularly thinking about going into China. And then you have this, this other, this other time where it doesn't work in your favor, which is like you're, you're the company that's trying to make money selling services and you can sell a $30 dongle that, that it works perfectly well and integrates perfectly well. And in that instance, actually being the services company is advantageous. It's funny how in different markets it works for you or it might work against you. Right. And this gets at why Apple's strategically is not a services company. If they were a services yeah. company, they would sell the Apple TV for 50 bucks. But, mm-hmm. but but they're not. But I think this is the way to think about HomePod. Everyone is talking about HomePod as HomePod is a way to push Apple Music. And that just makes no sense, in part because Apple Music is is almost certainly very unprofitable. We know that the labels take you know fifty to sixty percent. We know that songwriters take ten to fifteen percent along those lines, and, and and you have to figure out how to make money on top of that. Like Spotify, with a much larger user base, which should get them more leverage, which we talked about last week, they are unprofitable. And I think it's fair to say that Apple Music is almost certainly unprofitable as well. Mm-hmm. So to think they're going to build a device and that it's locked down to Apple Music so that they can get more Apple Music subscribers doesn't make any sense at all. It's it's the other way around. It's like being in the ecosystem just keeps people sticky and makes them more open to buying hardware that like works really well with the existing service. That's exactly right. So I think that everyone's been thinking about Apple Music in the wrong direction because they think, about, oh, Apple's going to be a services company. Oh, Apple Music is a new service. No, Apple Music is a means of lock-in. It, it, and what I mean is if you're on an iPhone, like, oh, music streaming sounds great. 
I'm going to sign up. Are you going to go to the app store and download Spotify? Maybe. Or you happen to have one right on your device and it's already associated with their credit card and everything's already all set up and you just click a button and there you go. You're now using Apple Music and you start building playlists and you start getting used to it and whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and, and now you think, oh, a smart speaker would be great. You're like, oh, Alexa can't use Apple Music. I mean, again – in all these circumstances, to be clear, you can use it over Bluetooth or you can use it over AirPlay or with Sonos. You can use it via the but app. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. I, I I was driving me up the absolute wall. Everyone's like, Sonos, you can use Apple Music. I'm like, can you speak to it? No, you can't. The entire point is like, we're, like <laughs> you could also use Bluetooth. You can play Spotify over AirPlay. Does everyone actually want to do that? No. The, yes. Can, sorry. I, I'm, I was very annoyed by that this week. Um, anyhow, the point being is if you're already using Apple Music, by far, the most easiest, most convenient, most obvious choice is a HomePod. And guess what? I'm almost sure the HomePod is being sold with a significant margin, as befits Apple's business model. Now, of course, Apple being Apple, they are going to justify that in that the HomePod it really does sound amazing. Again, I, I only heard it at the press briefing at WWC months ago, and it was phenomenal. It really was really, really good, particularly side by side with, with, with some of its competitors. Uh, and so it, it's not like you're getting crap by any means. I'm not Apple sells good stuff, but I don't think it's a, we're going to sell this product and then get people to sign up for Apple Music. It's the exact opposite. If people are already Apple Music subscribers, Again, Apple is looking to monetize their existing user base. How do we get them to buy our speakers of other speakers? Well, there's one that it works with easily and one the other ones that it doesn't. Yeah. And, and in that instance, and I mean, to be fair, like you think about the type of, uh, the type of the traditional Apple customer or the, that like who you think that person would be. And actually they're probably in the market for a speaker that integrates really nicely, that plays music and sounds great and looks really nice. And, and as much as you hear it in the, uh, the echo chamber of Silicon Valley, the importance of, uh, having a very intelligent smart speaker. And yeah, I see people around here I'm at people's houses. They will talk to these things you go into places outside of san francisco or the big tech hubs that's unusual behavior for people to start talking to these devices but having a really good speaker that you can tell it to play new music or different music and it integrates with the service that's already on the phone it makes sense from the perspective of apple strategy it's just i come back to it like what are they doing? Like this is this is making more money in in the existing territory, and it's like that. I think it was in the movie Shawshank Redemption. It's like get busy living or get busy dying. If you are not on the offense, if you're not taking territory, if you're not building a product, or at least while you're developing, sustaining innovations like this, thinking about the disruptive ones or the ones in greenfield territory, then you're leaving yourself open to attack from somebody. I mean, again, in th- in theory, I I agree, but in reality, what else should they do? I mean, you think about you think about HomePod. I mean, like it's almost like the well, what they should do is they should put Apple Music on an Echo or whatever, and then they can get more customers for the services. Well, that mm-hmm. like why would they want no, to get more customers no, no, no. for? Oh, totally. I think in this instance, like in terms of the topics we're talking about right now, they're doing the right thing. the The area that I think has holds the most hope, and I'm still, I know they've gotten better about uh trying to lock down the use case though i would still say and it it might be selling more than the uh, like it might be the highest selling watch now of all time versus all the 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 swiss competition that they have 
but I, I like the area in which I think it's this is likely to come, and you also alluded to it is like a watch with AirPods, for example. Like that's the kind of thing where you grow it, and they're in the space. I don't think they've figured out the use case enough yet, still, but they're in the space and they're playing there, and that's to their credit because that's the kind of thing that will put them into a greenfield area that will cause a whole lot of growth if they can find a device that uh, that replaces the need to carry a phone around all the time, and then people start buying one of those, and then everybody buys one of those to carry around instead of having a phone, then you're up in that that high trajectory growth again. Yeah, well, I think where this really is interesting is because you know it, this is a company that that first and foremost they promise that they're going to provide the best user experience, and as we've mm-hmm. discussed ad nauseum, Siri I think is not the best user experience relative yeah. to the competition. And th- this was the point I made in the Oak Tree article, like the 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 win that is potentially going to come along and break this down is when the the inferiority of Siri is is too much to ignore and that's like that's why you would break out and and so this is what gets into all this stuff that I've also written about like Apple's organizational structure and how do you build a services infrastructure that is sort of iterative and open and 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 develops in the way that is necessary while retaining the sort of like final product perfection pursuit of perfection organization that you are that you already have and this is why this is why it's a pressing matter but you can see i mean i i wrote at the at the end of the article with the iphone 10 last year that you know if apple ever opened up its devices to competing services like why would anyone ever buy another device uh, again, at least in, in the near medium term, you have the best device and the best service, right? But by holding on to it's like the the iPhone 10 only works with Siri. I mean, yes, again, you can use Google Assistant. You have to open the Google app and you have to trigger it, mm-hmm. and it's not it's like it's not really a comparable sort of experience. And if you could just if you could set the default to be the Google Assistant, for example, that would be the best product ever, right? Well, why don't they do it? And I think th- that's what again this sort of iterative process of writing. That's what this article for me really crystallized. The reason they can't do that or won't do that is given their strategy you have to think about their services as levers how do you leverage the iphone dominance into into adjoining areas and the way you do that is through these services but that means they have to be kept exclusive and so mm-hmm. and i think this is the point you're that you've been driving at the whole time as well is embedded in this very coherent logical strategy that makes lots of sense is sort of the seeds of their of their yeah. potential demise yeah totally i i mean we got a question we have been receiving all the questions and next we are week, going we're, to get yeah, to next week i'm actually moving house next week so it's going to be rough so yes next week next week is the plan for the for the full q a but there was one from a gentleman, I, I believe it's a gentleman, Vamsi Yurijav, which is, do you see Apple finally giving in and start collecting data by putting privacy in the backseat for its AI efforts when they see their ship sinking in the AI first future? Or is it really possible to remain the way they are and still do do well in AI? And this is this is exactly the point, like by by taking the approach you just described of leveraging their own services, even if they are inferior, they are growing the oak tree, but they are bringing that oak tree that much. They are making it that much more brittle. And it is, it, it means that when that storm comes along, when it finally hits, when this AI first future arrives, that is when they're going to get into trouble, whether it's on the watch or on the phone or whatever, because they won't be able to compete because people are like, the whole stack isn't good enough compared to a competing stack. I'm going to move at that point. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, it's, it's you know, the the initial sort of first few generations of, of technology were 
were, you know, stuff changed so fast and stuff happened so quickly and companies rose and fall from mainframes to Mm. mini computers to PCs. And I think a lot of the sort of like theorizing, uh, particularly in the case of of disruption, was about that sort of like mainframe to mini computer Mm -hmm. to PC transition. Like that, and that's where, uh, you know, I think there's an entire chapter uh, uh, in the book about that. And the thing that's interesting to think about is we talked about the jungle analogy, for example, Mm -hmm. and sort of embedded in this idea of having these massive sort of ecosystems within which things can spring up and grow is a, a, I think a much more of a, a sense of longevity. uh, If that, if that Mm. makes sense, like to rebuild what these big companies have, it'd be Google or, or, or Amazon or, or, or even Apple, like there's so much that goes into it. And if you think about what might come next, like we kind of mentioned before, like, like augmented reality, like Apple is so much better placed for that sort of world going forward. Again, it's one of those things where you can, the theory is clear. Like everything that you're saying, obviously I completely, you know, can see can see and agree with but at the same time there's some aspect of it's like if you're always the person that that says it's a bubble it's a bubble the, the, the everything's overpriced like eventually one day you will be right yeah but you will have foregone so many gains in the intervening years that you will in the big picture have been wrong and, and i think it's easy to sit here and it's so easy to to draw out the theoretical case for why apple might be in trouble. And they're the easy one. Again, given the sort of business model sort of lends itself to this yeah. sort of disruption analysis far more. I mean, you look at a Google or a Facebook, it's like, oh, they're, they're, it's all zero cost. Like the whole idea of monetizing yeah. your best customers, it kind of like aggregation theory kind of upsets disruption, right? Because it, it removes, it inserts zero into part of the sort a of disruption of equation. equation. Right, yeah. exactly. Whereas Apple is still sort of an old school old world business they sell stuff for a profit and that that fits in the model so it's so easy to take this this theory that we know and apply it to apple but i think there's an aspect of you can think about the how it could go wrong and if you get too focused on that if you try to remain 20 years old forever you end up foregoing all the uh, lots of great things along the way, and and I, I certainly it's an easy temptation to fall into, and I think that and it's, it's so weird. Like I got a bunch of Apple fans complaining I me mean, about this article about being against Apple and sort of stuff. I mean, Apple fans are just a pain in the pain in general, but I'm like, I, I this is I think this is I was kind of defending Apple, like Apple's being super introspective and and monetizing their, their users, but like. I think it makes sense. Like, it, and it's okay. It's okay. Like, maybe one day they will get disrupted, but you know, we'll we'll enjoy all the products they built along the way. Totally. I, I mean, and to be clear, I I think I agree with what you just said. I think that the approach they're taking that we're seeing publicly in terms of them monetizing their best users, and and it's not just monetizing their best users; it's improving the quality of the products and creating services. And if it's if it's not done on the basis of lock in, but it's more things like HomePod that are great and that people opt into, and it's yeah, this is a this is a good thing. People love products like that. That's why Apple is a beloved. Well, no, but I think that's the rub. Just sorry to interrupt you, but but you mentioned you improve the user experience. I think what what rubs people the wrong way is the possibility that Apple maybe improving the user experience is not the ultimate goal. Because let's be frank, if you, the user experience was the ultimate goal, they would let you change your default email client. They would let you change your default voice assistant if they actually wanted the best possible user experience. Th- that's not no. 
Apple's priorities, this is an old saying, I can't remember who, I think it might have been John Syracuse, I'm not sure, but Apple's priorities, because it's in the context of developers, is number one, Apple, number two, users, and like number 10, developers. <laughs> and like, once you understand, <laughs> like, that was the context of we but it's still, like, users are not number one. Apple is number one. And, uh, and I, and I think that, that really bothers people, and I, I can understand why, but there is this quote Tim Cook had on the call where someone's trying to push him on how many users Apple has, and he's like, "Oh, we don't think we don't think that's the right way to think about it. We think about number of devices." It's like, <laughs> okay, it was it couldn't have been a more clear articulation of let's be clear about what drives our business. Yeah, totally, and uh, <laughs> I totally granted. Now, I think still like the way they sell devices is by making great devices and like you said we'll enjoy the devices and all the products they've made along the way i'm not disputing any of what you said the the thing that i guess that i would be encouraging is like things in the hopper that they're working on on the back burner like the watch which at least give them a chance at 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 that whatever is next wave and like when i hear it's like the self-driving stuff i get a little nervous because that doesn't feel like given where i believe and i think you believe the world is going that apple is necessarily well positioned to be doing that kind of thing it's it's their strengths lie elsewhere and it's making sure they have and we might not see them like oftentimes they have these things in secret labs and they're working on them for years and years and years and you don't know what's going on it's that they're doing that kind of thing with a view to potentially knocking off the iphone or killing their babies what however you want to describe it that's the important part in conjunction with the strategy you're describing because otherwise you do leave yourself open to being disrupted no i agree and, and again i think the i the home is a warning signal N- not in not in its execution per se like i actually you know this idea of i, I think this this leveraging apple music people are like oh that sounds like really complicated like that's exactly what they do with apple tv and again you could say you can you can certainly raise questions about apple tv but if they are going to be a company that monetizes through selling high margin hardware th- there is definitely a logic to to the approach and i think puts apple music in a more sort of positive light than i viewed it previously uh, the reason i was so down on apple music in general is like why does Apple want to get in this low margin business? Like it just sounds it sounds like a pain in the rear end. But if it's actually a piece of leverage in the way that I now suspect it is, I'm like, well, yeah, nice one, Apple. You like you were you definitely had a better view of this than I did. I got that one wrong. Uh, uh, but but sure, what I was gonna say um, getting old, Ben, uh, middle age. <laughs> oh yeah, but the fact that HomePod was so late to me really, I, I think, is a warning sign that they. It took a it took a little bit for them to to envision a possibility where the iPhone isn't the answer. Like there actually happens to be a place mm. in people's lives where they don't necessarily need an iPhone, and yeah. and I I think it is a warning to exactly what you're worried about. And I to me that's the lesson for Apple to take away is like oops we were we we kind of had a blind spot here. We need to be super duper careful that we might have mm. other ones in in other places. Yeah, agreed. Our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent. Again, go to WordPress.com slash Exponent to get 15% off your website. And next week, again, unless something big happens, uh, (laughs) so we'll see. And it's happened before. Yeah, Amazon Health. Uh, Unless something big happens, we plan doing the Q&A. Again, I think next week is going to be a little more sort of meta sort of stuff, not necessarily about Mm. specific tech companies that we would talk about otherwise. We already have a bunch of good questions. You can can send more, but um, I think we we will definitely be well-stocked for for next week. We are well-stocked indeed. Very good. Well, I will look forward to to that Q&A, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Good luck with the move again. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye.